Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast produced by Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. I am Bob, I'm exactly one half of the Bob and Brad team. I am joined by my cohort, Mike Keenitz. Cohort? Well, it's co host. Co host, cohort. And anyway, he's, uh, you put together most of the questions for today. We're going to be joined by Mark Kukazella, MD. And uh, Mike, you want to give some background on Mark? So Dr. Mark Kukazella is a professor at West Virginia University School of Medicine. Uh, he's actually a competitive runner for over 30 years, and he has more than 100 marathons and ultra marathon finishes. Mark is also the owner of Two River Treads, a center for natural running and walking in his hometown of Shepherdstown, West Virginia. And I want to mention, uh, Mike, that he also tells us during the podcast that he was, you know, had surgery 20 years ago to the point where he thought he was done running. Mm-hmm. And he has since done many races. Um, so yeah, he has fixed this through basically barefoot minimal shoe running. And then we also get into talking about heart rate zone training as well. Fantastic. Can't wait to talk with him. So enjoy the podcast. Okay, welcome to the show, Mark Kukazella, Dr. Kukazella. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, gosh, my pleasure. And Mark is fine. That's too long a last name. I have to repeat on the I really like to give you the respect you deserve. Um, So we're going to start off by talking about feet. Um, I've really been fascinated by this. I've seen some of this before I ran into your book. But by the way, I'm going to mention your book right away. Mike, you got one copy too. I got one too, yes. Run for your life. And... uh, I, I like to mention your website straight away because um, in case people go back to the video, they don't have to look through the whole video for it. So it's right at the start. We'll start off with uh, your personal website. Do you want that one? Is that all right? And Yeah, and drmarksdesk.com kind okay. of gets you to several places. Um, which and, one would be the Natural Running Center, naturalrunningcenter.com. And the book itself... Uh, Bob has a number of videos, runforyourlifebook.com. Okay. So go runforyourlifebook.com. There's a, a resource page that we've put about like 40 different videos with a oh. lot of exercises, like foot exercises, and maybe some things we'll talk about today, running forms. Check out that. Stuff. Yeah, so um, that's probably the best portal of just lots of stuff. And then your shoes, your shoe store. If you want to mention that too. Yeah, yeah. And I have a, a shoe store. We've been open 10, 10 years now, independent store focusing on foot health called Two Rivers Treads in West Virginia. That's T-W-O Rivers Treads.com. And we do online Zoom fittings. Everything in our store is based on natural footwear concepts, low to zero drop. Um, a lot of minimal shoes, some with cushion, but definitely trying to get your foot working better and stronger as a goal absolutely yeah isn't foot, your foot you, rehab <laughs> that's what we want to do foot your recovery shoe store is like the only one that's all minimal shoes right well i think i would say all natural type of footwear because like for example you're running trail races right so so the shoe's still going to be that nice flat wide toe box light flexible but you need some protection Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I usually run barefoot or sandals, but I, last fall I, I had I signed up for one of those crazy hundred mile trail runs because oh gosh, canceled. So I wore some cushion in that damn race. Right. <laughs> sure. I'm glad I did. So I had a pair of like Ultra Torin, which I would never like. Way too much cushion for every day. Sure. Really, but 
no, I was glad I had cushion at, at day two. You know, <laughs> stepped over how many roots and rocks. Yeah. So, you know, it's like having a set of golf clubs. You know, you adapt your body to move well, strong feet, and you're you're going to adjust the type of shoe based on whatever activity, the terrain, your goal. Well, why do you think that companies? Why do you think companies went the other direction? I suppose it was all in good faith, but they all thought yeah, it was the right thing to I, do, but then thick elevated heels and lots of, lots of arch support. Yeah. I don't think there was really nefarious intentions, you know, so sure. back in the, I'm 55. So when I, I started running at about age 13 and my first shoes were like Puma Clydes, you know, or Keds that we just, that's, we just yeah, had one pair of tennis exactly. when we were growing up. Um, and then, you know, you could read, you know, the history of Nike and, yeah, there was uh, first shoes were these very minimal, Anazuka's very minimal running shoes. And then, you know, there was kind of a hypothesis. And if you read, you know, Shoe Dog and, and some of the books about early Nike. So it was, it was kind of a hypothesis. Well, maybe we could lengthen people's strides, you know, if we put a little bit of cushion in the heel and they could reach their foot out a little longer. And kind of that's how at least that, those initial like Nike Cortez and waffle shoes kind of evolve just put a little bit of wedge in in the heel you know let them let them strike out a little bit more but then you know like any industry you know we, we become driven and, and kind of fascinated by the technology right the more right. The technology and then seeing the technology so then you, you went from just a little heel wedge to then like air max where you could actually see the air bubbles you know, and of right. course, you know, it kind of made sense. Well, we need to guide and support the foot because it made it was a nice narrative where well, the foot needs all this protection and support to run. You know, we need to stop pronation, even though there was no science behind any of that. But it kind of was a nice strategy. It went into the running store. They saw your foot move a little bit. Well, we don't want your foot to move. Look, that might cause injury. Right. Brace your foot up. You know, but we know that, you know, your physical therapy, right, that the the foot needs to move, right? You got right. 26 bones, 33 joints, 100 muscle tendon insertions that are all doing some form of magic. And we want the foot to be able to behave like a foot and support the movement, not an external device, because the more you support something, the more intrinsically it weakens, which means then you need more support, weaken more, and then you're kind of destitute for a life of supporting your foot. So you can always reverse that trend by starting just like any extremity if you have something hurt you know support it and then you wean support and add strength you know if i'm rehabbing your shoulder or your hip wean support and add strength but we should apply that to the foot and ankle you know? so you uh you recommend starting off uh, this is what i've done i've i got some zero drop shoes and i walk with them i run yeah. also but i'm not running with it yet and uh i have found i mean my calves get really tired I mean, they're, they're somewhat sore, but I mean, they're just a lot more tired these last month, you know, but yeah. uh, I, I would expect that I'm 61. So I, a little bit of age. That's, that's actually good, Bob. So if you're going to the gym and you're working a muscle that hasn't been worked right. in a while, you're going to wake up the next day and be a little tired and then you adapt, you know, so I sure. don't want you overworking that. So you're you're smart. You've worked with patients so much. There's kind of yeah. a sweet spot of good stress and recovery versus too much. So you wouldn't go out the first day in a pair of five fingers and run 10 miles. Sure. You, know, that's, you probably would get hurt. 
running in any pair of shoes if you go out. So out the at, door. At, yeah, at this point, once yeah. I I adapt beyond that, I would probably go to some transition shoes that have it, less of a heel. Yeah, and everyone we do just like you would do in your clinic, we do an individual assessment. So if everything in your foot and ankle is perfect, you don't need to transition, right? Like, can you get into a deep squat? You know, so that means you have good ankle mobility. You know, let's look at the structure of your feet. Do you have a good stable springy arch, right? Can you support your body weight? Can you stand on one foot? You know, do you have good hip mobility? So do you have all these ingredients like a six-year-old kid who's been running around in their backyard bare feet, they don't need to transition into minimal right. shoes. They're perfect, right? They would need to transition into big, big bulky right. modern running shoes because that would change their, they have a perfect natural movement pattern with perfectly strong feet and you put them in a big clunky shoe, they hate them, right? Because you Got just it. shed yes. their spring off, right? They throw their shoes off as soon as they get home, right? They want to be... I remember those summer days where I didn't wear shoes all summer. I mean, I I could run over rocks. I mean, it just your your feet adapted. And yeah, they totally adapt. So, um, you, and it's a know, great point too about walking. You know, so you know I've, I've sure. presented uh, a couple papers to the American uh, AAPSM American Academy of Podiatric Sports Medicine just on some of the benefits of minimal shoes to walk. So it shouldn't be too far outside the imagination that if you walk in a shoe that lets your muscles work your muscles get stronger god absolutely so that's that shouldn't be magical thinking you know like, right no no yeah you walk like in my skin now that's on the floor this is a, a zero shoe right so i could roll this shoe up and put it in my pocket right so when i walk around I, you know my muscles this is just i have to have something on my foot at the hospital or else they think you're a freak, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we all are, but yeah. so it's like covert barefoot. It so, great. so just uh, so we're clear, so people know, I mean, part of the problems with these regular shoes is it's going to weaken your feet. And yes, the more you support the foot, the more it gets weak over time. And that, you know, one of the big, you know, you guys deal with a lot of elderly in rehab. So you have an elevated heel, weak yep. feet narrow toe box, foots in plantar flexion, step off a curb, what happens? They're gonna fall harder. You fall. Yep. Yeah, so so it's when your feet are flat to the ground, wide, flat to the ground, and you can feel the ground, you have what's called proprioception, which is the most important uh, part of our balance. You know, our eyes help us balance, our inner ears help us balance, but the feet feeling the ground is the primary mechanism of balance. So the more that's masked and shut off, I mean, this isn't even about running or walking injuries. This is about not falling and breaking your hip. Yep. Yeah, you see, we have tons of uh, elderly clients come into our store. They have no desire to run, but you put sure. them in like a, a wide, flat walking shoe and they're like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I'm not gonna fall. Because yeah, I, I read in your book, again, run for your life, that um, I believe you said at one point that there's like hundreds of thousands of sensors in your feet if you make them work. I mean, if you can get them to work. Yeah. No. Um, it, do you think, uh, you know, I'm reading this book on fascia right now, and um, they are talking about how a lot of the, that comes from the fascia itself. Is that your belief too? That. Yeah. What book are you reading now on fascia? There's some I'm great reading reads. the... Um, I got it written down right here. 
uh, Fascial Fitness by Robert okay, Sleep. The, oh, yeah. He was one of the original writers about fascia, you know, going way back. So, so fascia is all of our loose connective tissue, you know, so our, every muscle, every organ, every tendon is encased with this fascia. And, and the fascia is living, you know, it's got nerves, it's got blood vessels yes. in it. And it's the spring. So the fascia is kind of the spring that, that makes us move. So the plantar fascia, the Achilles tendon, you know, these are big springs. And when these get stiff and hard, right, they're not being used, right? So you think of a kid jumping rope, right? It's like tap, 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 spring, 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 right. no energy, right? They're good. That fascia is wonderful. They could do that all day. And then we take our 70-year-old with arthritis of the hip and knee and dysfunctional feet, right? They try to jump rope. Yep. Right? Their fascia, their spring doesn't work. Lieberman, you know, my friend up at Harvard, another fellow barefoot runner, way smarter than I am. He's at Harvard. <laughs> so, but he is, he's like the Holiday Inn Express guy. He's published hundreds of papers. But um. Yeah, sure. they him and his, he's got all his, his like super smart grad students up there, but they actually studied the human foot and the fascia. And when the foot's functioning well, the foot, it's like a super ball, you dro drop it to the ground. And if the fascia, the springs of the feet, the plantar fascia, Achilles tendon, a foot will return, foot and ankle, 70% of the energy, right? Sure. Like you drop it to the ground and gotcha. yeah. right? spring, right? You watch the Kenyans run. They, they, they look like they're not using much energy. Right. That's true. So, I, I've, yeah, I've watched it. I've watched Yeah, you're like, what the heck? Yeah. It's like, why? They're just springing. And then, like, if you have someone whose fascia doesn't work, right, they've just been sedentary, right? They've been bed rest. They haven't been, their foot hasn't been trained every day, right? They they walk into the room like this, right? They're, they're, they just, like, hit the ground. There's no, it's right. like a hummer that the shocks are locked up. And then all those forces go into their knee and hip. You know, which contribute to the knee and hip arthritis, which we see, as you guys see, like all too common. Right. When the feet, when the springs of the foot and ankle work, right, it's like your shocks of your car. Then the frame, the chassis doesn't take that hit. So hopefully we can live. I hope to live my whole life with my original hips and knees. And I think yep. the trajectory is good. I'm 55 and have run a, a, probably 120,000 miles. <laughs> in my life i don't know what's it around the i mean people would say you need you should need new knees now but no right. the more you run correctly the more it protects your knees right because you, you, you know it's good for your cartilage good for your connective tissue don't run too much or too hard just so run enough to yeah get that fascia uh when it's not used it becomes like sludgy and stuck together it comes just it, stiff and inflamed and the diet and the diabetes is a big issue too so when someone's Oh, it is. When they're metabolically inflamed, right? We know that tissue just is not, you could even like take a, you know, take your finger and pinch, like pinch the skin. And someone who's like fully diabetic, you know, like a lot of our, our patients here in West Virginia, like their skin is just stiff, right? It just doesn't, doesn't recoil back nicely. Sure. Yeah, so you can, like the healthy people, right? Their skin's like butter, right? They just, it just feel like they could be 90, the uber well 90 year old. You look at them, their skin looks like they're, they're 30, just the way it feels, because it's like totally healthy tissue. Is that more anti inflammatory for type foods? Well, they, or? Yeah, type 2 diabetes. So a lot of our patients with type 2 diabetes, 
um, which is a high insulin state, the folks with the belly or prediabetes, which basically is the same thing, their tissues are inflamed. The glycation from the sugar and the inflammation from the high insulin state when they're storing, you know, creates, you know, stress throughout the entire system and the joints and the tissues and the fascia and the brain, <laughs> you name the organ system sure. in the heart, blood vessels, it's all taken a hit, you know, so, so. So in a yes. sense, it really has to start with diet. I Heck mean, yeah, and yeah. Then, so, so yeah, because if you don't do up. that, you still, you're, you're behind the wall. Yeah, there's a guy I was at, at the uh, podiatric sports med seminar pre-COVID and their keynote speaker was, his name was Nick Mufili. Yeah, he's from Italy initially, but was at London. He was like the leading uh, fascia researcher and, uh, and tendinopathies, which are fascia. So all ten tendons are fascia when you hear tendinopathies. Yep. But he gave, it was wonderful. So he gave his keynote address, tendinopathies as a metabolic disease. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, right. We want to ultrasound it, inject it, use PRP. But he's like, no, tendinopathies are metabolic disease. And if you can fix their metabolism, get them to be healthy humans, they can heal. Yeah. Like I, we know in tissues and wounds and post-op care, like you see it, right? Like the people that are inflamed, poor nutrition, diabetes, they just don't heal. Right, right. right? For many, it's not just the poor blood flow. It's, it's many other factors that do that play into tissue healing. Yeah, I found it interesting in your book. You um, you referred to a lot of running. Most running injuries are are fascial related. I mean, yeah, running you, injuries unless you yeah. just unless a stress fracture. Sure, know, that's a load injury. You know, so or secondary stuff like you said. Um, you can you're putting more stress on the hip joint, knee joint. Um, if the fascia is not, which could also ultimately be due to poor fascia function, because right. back to the basics, when your fascia works good, your bones don't take the hit. So that stress fracture of the third metatarsal could be because all of their foot musculature and fascia is not working well. So they hit the ground, boom, right? And they think the big cushy shoe is going to help them, but it's like, no, they're, they're that loading rate, you know, and how they're running and the loads they're putting on that tissue supersedes so their capacity. How do you recommend that somebody, if they're a runner, that they... No, I, I read the book, the, the pose technique or the pose method. And, uh, but um, you kind of implied, I believe that if you, you start using minimalist shoes that you'll kind of naturally start running better because you'll not want to hit the heel and you'll take shorter strides. And uh, do you want to elaborate on that? You. Yeah, I think the most powerful way to actually learn how to land, because you want to land soft, right? You don't want right. to smash into the ground you know, so, so people are afraid to take their shoes off, but you know, the most powerful way to learn how to land perfect is take your shoes off and run on concrete, smooth oh. concrete, not ground. No, it's like, well, that's crazy. No, go, go, I mean, go for 50 yards, 50 meters. You will change how you run. Right. So, so you, and then you'll put your shoes back on, you know, if you run in a minimal shoe on really soft grass or sand, you still can run all, you're still it's fine. Uh, you it's, still could run bad. You still can run badly. The only way to really run perfect is to take your shoes off and run on pavement. We've got videos on that. And in summertime, I pretty much don't wear any shoes at all because I, I just, you land just so soft. And, you know, whether it's grass or we have some smoother pavement, you know, it's gravel sure. is where you need shoes because that's machined rock and that's yep. designed to cut your feet. But, 
you know, it's nice, smooth, it's beautiful, like glorious pavement, but that teaches you, you don't hear a sound, right? You land really, really soft and it forces you, you can't overrun your capability unless you're just a knucklehead because it hurts, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, some type A guys might be able to run barefoot so their feet bleed, but I would highly recommend they stop before their feet bleed, you know, that's yeah. friction, right? So, so you, you scrape into the ground, like if you're overstriding bare feet, on pavement you won't do that more than three steps yes well if you want some proof too i think if you watch a race and you watch the lead runners go out and or listen to them and you'll hear you are kind of hard to hear anything just just tap 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 and they might land on their heel they might land on the ball of their foot but they're landing soft they're landing from a position where they can go forward yes if that makes sense like they're not they're landing where their foot lands they can go forward they could touch gently from the heel, go forward. They could touch on the forefoot, go forward, but they're not landing way out in front where they're going to go backwards first. Right. That's friction, right? If you have a scrape area in your shoe, you know, whether it's on the ball of the foot or the heel, like if you have a big area of your shoe that's worn out, that means you're breaking. Yep. If that was your foot, it would hurt. <laughs> but the shoe, right. harder to do that in a five finger, right? So it's like if you were like a five finger sandals are wonderful to learn to run softly and just there's really thin sandals running sandals they're sure. just magical and a lot of fun so they're a nice little training tool and then you but you don't go out like you just do that as a training tool and then put your regular shoes on until you're fully adapted again little by we're little. talking about the thin sole sandals and uh, yeah yeah like like uh, shama or some luna sandals zero shoes super thin i've sure. got like 10 pair of them and they, they're I can't part with them. They just get better. Yeah. Your feet. Yeah. I wear them. I like, I wear them completely through to like my feet. I, I, you know, going back to the race thing. And then you, if you listen to the people at near the the end of the race, you hear plop, 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 plop. So it's, it's kind of an experiment you can do on, uh, on yourself. Do you maybe want to talk about your background with your foot injuries so people that maybe yeah, that have foot nice. injuries can realize like they can work this. through it? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, we're all told eventually by the medical system that stop running, right? You're right. bad for you. But most people who are your listeners who like to run like to run because it's for their brain. Like, like if you take someone who just loves to run every day, and if I just tell you, well, no, Bob, you can't run anymore. They'll, they'll no. I'm going to go talk to, because they can't, right? It's like they're addicted in a right. good way. Like they exactly. need that. Exactly. Yeah. So I had really, I was a track runner and, you know, we were, I ran college and then continued running after college um, competitively. And, and we didn't have, I didn't know anything about feet or shoes, even though I went to med school. Like we didn't learn that stuff. <laughs> so sure. I don't learn that in standard Pete, but we wore these skinny track spikes, right? That pointed. Yep. So I had really bad, Alex Valgus, you know, big, bad bunion deformity, my whole right. big toe joints, both of them, you know, I couldn't support my landing. And I didn't realize all that at the time that was contributing to all these other injuries. So it was year 2000, you know, I decided to take a little break, you know, they uh, took out part of the bone, straightened the toes up and basically said, well, you probably shouldn't run anymore. Cause look, it's really jacked your feet up. <laughs> so, but then sure. like I had some time um, to, you know, kind of, it was somehow, yeah, I was, I was, I, I got into this space. So I, I didn't think I was going to run again, really. Uh, but then I, I 
got into like the, I started to learn about exercise physiology and slowing down. So I started to read like Maffetone, you know, some of the heart rate stuff. Sure. And I just started running slow and, I, and you know, my, my wheels started to come back just by running slow. Didn't really understand the feet. And I was sponsored by a Brooks shoe company at the time. And they had this kind of mad scientist in the room. We're actually back to the shoe industry. He had come over from Nike, you know, to be their lead design guy. And he heard I was like a doc and into some of this biomechanics stuff that, um, and he started sending me these prototype shoes that were sawed off at the heel. He was trying, he like, he's like, no, this, he had all of his, you know, he was with Nike back before they had heels. Sure. And like he, he was a you know, physicist guy, like like an engineer guy. So he knew all that. He's like, no, you know, these the, we need to make these flat shoes. Sure. So, so he like taught yeah, me everything about that. He's like, just try these shoes. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's wonderful. He's like, yeah, that's why. Here's let me explain to you why. Um, so what age was that, at, Mark? What that was, uh, I'm 55 now. So I was 35 or 34 maybe when I had my feet operated on and knock on wood that was my last running wow that's crazy surgery because I slowed down (laughs) I learned I mean if you're a competitive runner you basically the culture is you know run until you break right ever repeat that's that's kind of how you roll that's probably why you're a competitive runner (laughs) that's how you got to that place because you can push yourself to horrible places but um but then you, like when you get hurt you just reset like what does running mean to me why do i run and it was like i run so i can be a good you know a good person and a good sure. doc and i wasn't even a dad at the time my kids you know but like yeah just be a good partner you know so so uh regular shoes running shoes it seems like they promote the the valgus and the uh the the well, yeah, we're talk, they talk about toe yeah, they squeeze, yeah, yeah, they squeeze and they also toes. seems like the toes are, are raised. I mean, yeah, it's called gotta... toe spring, and that's horrible because yeah, yeah so t- for your listeners, toe spring is when the front of the shoe ramps up, and it creates a condition in your toes where you know the 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 extensors get tight. Sure, right. So, so your it's happened so to me. So your toes are up in the air. So basically yep. now instead of your toes being able to act like a spring they're up in the air and you and you remove the fat pad and you pound the metatarsal heads and you get metatarsalgia morton's neuroma i mean you name the condition you know constantly pounding that you know that that front edge of the foot right now you don't have the toes it throws off the alignment of the sesamoid bones too yeah totally yeah the 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 bunion and the the big toe bending in the sesamoids designed to allow that flexor halysis longus to create proper movement in that groove and now you've just migrated it right off the track and then it keeps pulling harder because now that flexor tendon's off the track and that deformity gets worse and worse and worse and worse Toe spacers are wonderful if you have that. They're called correct toes. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I'm going to get a pair yeah, of those, especially yeah, for correct my toes. Too. Uh, my good friend, Dr. Ray McClanahan, is a podiatrist, smartest podiatrist, you know, of the bunch. You know, he he kind of went the other direction when he realized that most of his profession was just promoting more support, and he's like, yes. well, this doesn't make sense. And he went, and he's really successful now. He was an angry lone voice for a yeah, while. Yeah, a long time. Kind of thrown it. off the ship, right? And that, now sure. they're accepting him back in. They're like, oh, maybe Ray's right. Which is how it always time. goes, right? It like, is. It, yeah, exactly. Disruptive. Oh, you, you know, just 
not yep. conventional, but then they're oh, like maybe he's got something. Lunatic. And, <laughs> and then they were right all the time. So how it go? But yeah, Ray's wonderful. Look up Ray. All right, we'll transition into heart rate zone training. So, Mark, would you just want to explain to everyone what heart zone training basically is? Yeah, so I think, you know, Mike, the best way to think about it is what type of metabolism are you trying to create? You know, it's not specifically to a zone. This is, we'll just talk about do you want to be burning carbs or you want to be burning fat? So, a good athlete should be metabolically flexible. Like you've got like a Prius engine, right? You've got an electric battery that can go really highly efficient. If you need to pound up a hill, you can switch to gas. So, we want to build that electric battery, that big like Tesla engine, clean burning engine that can run all day. You want to build that. So to, to build that, you have to be what's called fully aerobic, meaning using fat as your main substrate for fuel. So fat takes a little more oxygen than the, uh, than the carbohydrates. So when you need to go up a hill and you need to kind of burn matches quicker, you always shift to glucose. And the way you can sense this even without a heart rate monitor, right? You're jogging along and maybe we're out on a run right now and we're chatting, gossiping, talking about whatever. And then all of a sudden someone tightens the screws, right? And then your respiratory rate kicks up. So mm -hmm. when we're burning carbohydrates, we're creating more CO2, you know, and which creates the necessity to breathe quicker, right? Gotcha. So when we're burning fat, we're not producing as much CO2, so we can, we don't need to come up for air as much. And so you want to be in that area. Now, for most people, that's a heart rate of somewhere around 180 minus your age. You know, so for example, yeah. if you're 40 years old, it's not precise. This is just a poor man's tool to keep you in that zone would be about 140. Above that, you're probably shifting into more carbohydrate adaptation. So the more you're in that fat burning zone, the more your body's asking for more oxygen, the more it's going to deliver that, which means it's going to start to develop more capillaries. Right. So we're building oh, sure. a bigger engine, right? So we want to build a big aerobic base. And that big aerobic base just comes from a lot of easy running. A lot of easy running builds that, you know, a marathon is 99% aerobic, mm -hmm. you know, a mile and a half military PT test is like 85 to 90% aerobic. So they, if you want to pass the PT test in the military, you need to have a big aerobic base and then add some, you know, icing on the cake by getting sharp and doing some quicker stuff, but you have to have that big aerobic base. So the more you're doing training in that zone, and that zone doesn't break you down, right? You can wake up no. the next day. Fat burning uh, is, is clean. It's like a Tesla yeah, versus it's very, a charger. It's very easy because when I was, I'm in my early 30s, but I was in my 20s. I ran three marathons. I never mm -hmm. knew a thing about this. I just ran as hard as I can. Just pounded. <laughs> and I, you know, I'd start, you know, seven and a half minute miles. And then by the time I'm done, I'm at like 10 and a half you know, yeah. minute miles Done. and every marathon I was exhausted. And this time I'm in the middle of training and like these 18, 20 mile runs I've been doing with lower heart rate yeah. zone. I'm done. I'm a little tired, but I'm fine. Yeah. You feel great. Plus if you, you know, do those mostly fasted. Yeah. That's what I do to use the fat, you know, yeah. for fuel is, is you never bonk. It's a magical place and you're never afraid of bonking because you'll never bonk. You become, basically bonk proof yeah a, a i used to have engine. that that 20 mile bonk 
pretty much every time and I used to eat a huge carb meal and now yeah I go out fasted every time just yeah. take some, some salt, salt. Some yeah, water, yeah yeah look yeah spot on yeah you need the salt but you don't need I'd never eat before runs no matter maybe if it's like a like an ultra run something that's going to be you know four to six hours on feet because mm-hmm. you, you know you get hungry for a meal somewhere along the way but otherwise you just go run well, for someone who doesn't know anything about this, I mean, so on race day, do you do anything different? No, no. The worst thing you could do on race day. So if you're teaching your body to use fat as fuel, and if you say, you know, go to the expo and someone says, well, you want to load up your sugar right before the start. So, so when insulin is high, we're storing, we can't access fat for fuel. So if I ate a bagel right before my run, my insulin would shoot up. So basically, I, I'm destined to burn that bagel, but I shut off the Tesla battery, right? I just shut gotcha. that off because I just spiked my insulin. But if I start that run fasted, my insulin's low, so I'm I'm using the Tesla battery right from the start. Now, once you get moving, you know, about a half hour in, you know, you're using that fat for fuel, and you want to kind of just throw in just a touch of glucose to stabilize your blood sugar. That's all fine, but do not do that right before the start. But if you're yeah, if you're if you're racing for time on race day, do you I mean move out of the heart rate zone? Oh and, yeah, yeah. On your race yeah. day, yeah, you're going to move out because you've built this big aerobic engine. I but see. So not you can too see what much, it can do. Depending, yeah, depending on the event. You know, one magic gotcha. trick that uh, will keep you in the right zone. So I exclusively breathe through my nose, unless you're like sprinting. So breathing through your nose guarantees that you're in the right zone because you really like and if you watched like you know the olympic marathons one of the one of the uh, commentators even said this during the women's marathon i'd never seen anyone observe this so the two ladies the two i think they're both from kenya broke away from from the molly the u.s lady and they're like oh my gosh their mouths are closed sure yeah this is like mile 20 you know and they're like tightening the screws in 80 degree heat wow (laughs) and if you watched kipchoge then the following week you know who just blew the field away you know his face is relaxed his mouth is closed and he's running like four minutes and 30 seconds a mile crazy like crazy (laughs) and you're like wait a minute but that's the physiology of it right they're breathing through their nose you know, their CO2 is actually elevated enough to really, it's a whole process, but, but they don't, they're just doing that unconsciously because they're just amazing athletes. No one really has told them that they're just innately doing that. And so then the one who gets dropped is, <laughs> you know, the one who's like right, dropping yeah. off the, yeah, they're just like hanging on for dear life, but I'm sorry, go ahead. So no, I, I've transitioned to this. I've, 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 I, I was a huge mouth breather. So I wanted to ask Mike, if you're still a mouth breather. Or no, I started, I'm predominantly a nose breather in everyday stuff besides walking and running. And as soon as I read that, so I have a heart rate monitor on my watch mm-hmm. and it was really annoying when I figured out the zone I want to run in to constantly look up at it. And once I read in your book, just breathe through your nose, it like fixed everything. Like I never have to look at my watch. Every time I peek down, I'm always like in a decent zone. And it it was weird for like a week. And then honestly, now it's just like second nature. Like it's I don't second think nature. about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Now you don't need to like be so technology. You're so, you know, anything in athletics becomes feeling based. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure like any of those top level people, they, they don't need all that stuff anymore. They just kind of know. 
inherently where they are, but that takes a lot of discipline and training. And I mean, we all like Mike and Bob and myself, I've done about everything wrong probably a million sure. times. Yep. <laughs> and then, and then you're like, Oh, that makes sense. And then you try it self-experiment. Oh, heck yeah. That, that now it all is clear. So I, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts there. are about this, but I, I, you know, a huge mouth breather. So I, I started doing the tape at night where I tape. Yes, them. I do that too. It's, and all oh, I sleep like better. Oh, yes. it's fantastic. And my teeth are whiter. You know, so like all of our sleep apnea patients now who can't get CPAPs because the machines are being recalled. Like oh, sure. Or sleep apnea. You know, it's a highly, I mean, it's, if you have severe sleep apnea, it's not going to make it go away. But a lot of milder varieties of sleep apnea, just tape the mouth, breathe through the nose, and it changes the flow dynamics in the airway and the tongue yep. position. So you can correct a lot of sleep apnea just by taping the mouth. You know, not if you're listening to this, not like duct tape in an aggressive way. Right, I no. One inch paper tape, yep. one little strip right on the lips. So yep. it's not going to suffer. It's yeah, like, it breaks through if, if you... Yeah, if, if you want to, you could happen. do it. Yep. 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 Wow, that's neat, neat to hear. Yeah, it's really good advice. You maybe want to talk about how when you first start heart rate training, um, you actually decrease your pace of running oh, and then over time you become efficient. Cause I'm like probably two and a half, three months into it, and I'm still working on building up that speed again. Yeah, it's called aerobic speed, and that's your fitness. So say you're 40 years old, and you say, okay, my heart rate where I'm transitioning, you know, I got to, can't breathe through my nose anymore, you know, it's a 140 heart rate, and right now you go out to the park, and the, your monitor beeps at a 12-minute mile. All right, so you're type A, and you wants to, oh, screw this heart rate monitor. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Throw right. it away. You know, this grandma's passing me, but you hang right. in there, you know, adjust your stride, breathe through your nose, you know, just chill, walk a bit if there's a hill. But then the next month, you're running an 11 minute a mile at a heart rate of 140. All right, then the next month, you're at a 10 minute a mile at a heart rate of 140. You know, keep going. Then you're at an eight minute a mile at a heart rate of 140. This was my trajectory. And it was before like the Marine Corps Marathon in 2020 when I didn't do any workouts and I was just goofing around with this. And like, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before the Marine Corps Marathon, I'm running around this park in Denver, you know, pretty close to a six minute a mile. And I was 30 years old ish at the time. And I'm running Wonderful. at a heart rate of 150 at altitude. You know, wow. that was like, okay, this is different. And started that marathon. It was the easiest, just the easiest feeling I've ever had. But, you know, so, but that took patience and time and I never, unless I had understood that method, I never would have had the patience. It was a whole system I'd never really built because when you're just running like college track, an easy day is keeping up with your teammates, right? There's no such right. thing as easy to like a high school kid or a college kid running on the team. Like, like they don't, it's like a Marine telling a Marine to go easy. It's like easy to a Marine is not dead yet. So, right. So they, yeah. Those people need, <laughs> they need the heart rate monitor because they're Sure. The people that are more intuitive, they don't need just tell them to have a conversation with their friend. They don't need the technology. They're doing it anyway. So you have gotcha. to, as a coach, are they a horse or a mule? Yeah, you know? I had to really force myself because I'm a type A and it yeah, was, you're, you're a horse. It was <laughs> very, break. very frustrating. And it's 
it's better now. It's funny because when I run certain laps around here, there's a lot of colleges, and you'll just see the college kids like flying by me. No, I just keep telling myself, I'm like, I'll get That's faster. Cool. I'll get faster. And then I just at the end of your run. It's yeah. Cool. You just kind of got to uh, suck it up for Mike, a while. I, I see you have a question about the MAF method. Oh, yeah. What so, do you just want to explain like the Maffetone method a little bit? Yeah, and that's kind of that's my kind of what we did. Yeah. So, the Maffetone method, and it's just a baseline. It's not something meant to be like super rigid. It's just a start point to get you from most people run too hard, right? So, it's that 180 mm -hmm. minus your age. And if you're recovering from an illness, you know, then you want to even dial it down a little more. You know, maybe if you've kind of in this fat adapted world where, you know, you can breathe through your nose at a little higher heart rate you know, you could dial it up a little bit, but it's just, it's kind of a guide, you know, yeah. if, if you're, if you're suffering from chronic injuries, fatigue, it's going to slow you down and that helps you recover. And because most of us running is recovery for us, you know, we're not professional athletes, right? So for us, running is our recovery. I mean, is that true for you guys? You have day jobs. And oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah like, if, yeah. like for me, it's like, it's, if running is not to recover, then the rest of the day doesn't work because the rest of the day is constant stress. Speaking of which, you, do you want to mention maybe talk about sleep and recovery and and heat and how that can affect the heart rate? Because yeah. um, I've yeah, known yeah. your book, you talk about all this stuff, kind of different things, and I've experienced it. But you just want to kind of elaborate on different things. Yeah. So if it's really hot, your heart rate's going to go higher just to cool you off. So if if it's really hot and you're comfortable running and your heart rate's a little higher, that's cool. That's fine because you, your your heart rate's you're like a radiator basically. You're just mm -hmm. trying to cool yourself off. So, but but again, don't kid yourself, right? How do you feel the next day? You know, because a lot of times, ah, oh, you know, fine, oh, it's just warm. Let me forget the heart rate. But but just be wise with what your self assessment is. And are you progressing, right? Like, are you progressing or or, or are you going backwards? Um, sleep is is so important because sleep is how you know we get better stress plus rest right without recovery sure. there's no i like that training equals stress plus rest right stress the body don't know recover stress the body you break but those deep stages of sleep stage three to four is where growth hormone testosterone that horm recovery is hormonal it's not foam rolling your body right it's mm. it's a, it's recovery right so your body sends signals to recover and grow right like if we lift we want to get better but that's right. why you don't do legs every day right so, so you need to recover but stage three to four sleep you know so if you have sleep apnea you know or you're taking a pill called ambien which or, you know any of those lunestas any of those pills yes. that are the sleep aids they interfere with your sleep architecture so you think you're sleeping but you're actually not sleeping and you don't get into that deep recovery uh, you're skipping the deep sleep do any of the sleep That's meds help um w w with any of the sleep medications do you go go into deep sleep or I, I, is there... melatonin is safe and but really just designing oh. your you know we call it like your sleep architecture you know so you're light in the day right so, so you got to kind of get yourself on a circadian rhythm if sure. you can night shift work is a mess you know i've done uh, a lot of night shift right. work in my life it's hard to night shift work is really difficult um trying to maintain normal sleep cycles because your body's just constantly you know 
off of these rhythms. But yeah, it's just turn the screen off at night. Not too much. Alcohol will wreck your sleep late sure. into the evening. You think you're asleep, but again, it's like Ambien. You don't get into the deep sleep. Um, but all those uh, benzodiazepines, Valiums, Diazepams, yep. Ambiens, they they affect how you sleep. So, it's, but they're easy to get from your doctors. But I would, you know, buyer beware. Melatonin is fine. You know, so, so we're trying to kind of increase melatonin later in the day, you know, with the big screen that the teenagers on right. you know, at one in the morning, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're, their eyes are sensing it's daylight. Do, do you, um, sticking with sleep here, do, do you increase your sleep after the bigger runs? Will you I, add I hour to, to it? You can't really add it. I'm, I've prioritized sleep a little more in my life now. You know, maybe I'm a little boring now. I get up early to run, like five in the morning, but by 10, I'm usually lights out. Sure. And I wake up naturally. Like, I don't think I've needed an alarm to wake up in several years. So you're getting the right amount. Yeah, I kind of wake up, you know, and roll out of bed, get coffee. But, you know, it's, yeah, I, I really don't think an alarm has woken me up in a long time. And that's kind of good, you know, try to cut back on the alcohol. Yep. At late at night, it's been COVID stress, so my, my wine consumption is dialed up a bit. So try to dial that down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and we're all yeah. Well, things it, it relaxes you and helps you sleep, but you don't read right. You said as you said, yes, cut off the wine at dinner. Right. Don't keep yeah. drinking it. You know, have a glass at dinner, enjoy it, but not three glasses after nine at night. Or something. Right. Yeah. Mike, we probably have time for one more question. I know that there. Oh, this has been fun. And then, you know, if we have others, we can do a, do a follow-up. Yeah, you know, we've, absolutely. We've some, it's been fun chatting with you yeah. guys. We've Likewise. I'm going to maybe in. talk a little bit about how most runners train most of their time in a slower heart rate and then a little bit of time at a faster one. Yeah, that goes historically to elite athletes in every endurance sport. You know, certainly people that aren't uh, exercising to perform should probably even do more easy running because that's fitness and that helps you prevent cardiovascular disease. But, um, you know, a, a Seiler uh, um, lives in Norway now, but the 80-20. Yeah, so, so that 80-20 principle exists whether you're doing crew, whether you're doing cross-country skiing, whether you're doing cycling or distance running, where like 80% of the training is like ridiculously easy. You know, the Kenyan shuffle, like their easy days are like ridiculously easy, but on huh. the days they light it up, they go fast, <laughs> but sure. still it's, it's not 50, 50. It's like, you know, a little bit of speed and intensity stimulus, but a lot of recovery. And the more you do the higher intensity that 20% is the more easy that 80% is. And yep. this is the, the guy I heard that from, you know, and I would probably take his advice to be pretty wise. His name was Frank Shorter. Um, oh, yeah. Frank, yeah, so, so he, Mike he probably doesn't a, know who he is. Oh, year, he had two gold medals. Uh, we'll give him yeah. the gold in uh, Munich um, because uh, the, the guy who won the gold was juiced. Um, but sure. that's, and that's why Shorter went on to be, he's a lawyer. He became a lawyer and was the first uh, lawyer for WADA, you know, the, the anti-doping <laughs> agency. Um, to try to take some of these people down but he gave he just gave a talk i was at a U university of virginia running medicine conference a lot of pts go there and he was like the, the, the guy they brought in just to talk about his life in running you know his 20-year career and he said this he said the harder 
and he was self-coached but he's a smart he's a lawyer even though i'm a doctor the lawyers some of them are smart even though we, try to stay <laughs> we don't think doctors. so <laughs> but he said this which was like you talk about like his training group in boulder he said like these people would kind of show up and want to run with them and they go out in the easy days and it's like rob de castell is short all these like world-class runners and they would uh you know oh gosh i'm running with frank i must be pretty hot stuff frank can i run with you tomorrow and yeah come out to potts field which is the track Sure. You know, that would be the days running hard. And they wouldn't make it, you know, a backstretch. But he said this, the more hard the intensity was on the intense days, the easier the easy days needed to be to recover. Gotcha. Right? So doing all that aerobic stuff helped him recover and probably optimize that hard day. Like he had to keep this big aerobic base intact while you were doing the intervals. Like the intervals sharpened you, but you couldn't like ignore like that base so, so like it's yeah. if you're just kind of off season you could probably go out every day moderate but the more you hit it right high intensity the more you need to do the recovery like the kenyan shuffle they call it right like you watch kenyans on their easy days and they're like shuffling they call it like you could probably find ah. youtube videos kenyan shuffle because they're just like spring in and they're just going sure. like, but they're doing like a ton of that stuff makes complete sense but like so. you better not go near them on the days. Yeah. <laughs> you see those guys run hard, and you're like, oh my god! Like eight thousand feet, they're doing four twenty mile repeats oh. at eight thousand feet on a dirt track. Nuts, <laughs> nuts. But, yeah. but they do the their you know their recovery is like ridiculous. Sure. Recovery. And well, that's just like Kipchoge. That's you know the guy's amazing, right? He's almost forty years old, and he's blowing. Up. That's how he trains, you know, and that's why he's still in the sport. Well, thank, thank you so much for this information. It's been so pleasure. helpful, really. It's changing Mike and my way of thinking about a lot of things in running and even walking. So um, hope we can do this again. And uh, uh, why don't we mention your book one more time? I appreciate you guys mentioning the book. That was oh, yeah. a five-year project. <laughs> Don't so, write a book unless you want to stretch yeah. yourself out. Run yeah. for your life. Lose sleep. How to run, walk, and move without pain or injury and it's, achieve a sense of well-being and joy. It's very well-written and very thorough and very detailed. I yeah, you'll find a, a lot say. of details we didn't have today. And it's not just about running. It's about foot mechanics, stretching, uh, different health eating stuff. And maybe 80% is non-running, 20% is running. But yep. Most of it's just health. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's for all of you. So um, do you want to mention your website again? Yeah, so I mean, my store is a great place, tworiverstreads.com. And if you go to drmarksdesk.com, you can see a lot of things we're doing here in, in my community. Excellent. And it takes you to, so, including races. We host races out here. It's, it's a fun community. That's kind of why I'm is. involved with it now is just getting people out there and, you know, sharing the joy. Yep. And you can order stuff in there online and you ship it because I ordered some socks and stuff from you. So just so everyone's aware, you don't actually have to go to the store in person. <laughs> and yeah, you give me handwritten website. notes from your store person. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. yeah, it's like old school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of neat. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know you have to go to dinner, Mark. So thanks very much for joining us. Right, thank you, guys. Pleasure. Bye-bye.